Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. Tonight, we will compl- we will do phase two of our three-part program, breaking down the NASCAR Cup Series teams in 2017. We'll preview them. Joe Gibbs Racing, Richard Childress Racing, and Roush Fenman Racing on tap tonight. Plus, we'll discuss the chartering system, a little bit of craziness with the charter between BK Racing was bought by Front Row Motorsports, then leased to TriStar Motorsports. We'll discuss that. Watkins Glen announced their segment plans, obviously, or they're not called segment stages that they're going to run uh, at a race this year. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here if you want to join a conversation on Talking in Circles tonight. Anything you want to talk about. But, John, let's get right into it. Our team preview. I'm excited about this because this is something fun. Uh, we're previewing these organizations, you know, and next week we'll finish this up. But let's talk about this here. Um, let's start with Joe Gibbs Racing. I think that's an organization that, listen, last year in 2016, for the majority of the year, Joe Gibbs Racing and their counterparts, Furniture Racing, which we'll do next week, uh, have really, really, really hit it, hit hit on all cylinders last last year. Uh, I thought Martin Truex Jr. was was fantastic last year. But Joe Goods Racing as a whole, I thought they had the speed. I think TRD had the speed. Uh, they're a very good team. So at the end of the day, um, let's start with this 11 team, Denny Hamlin. He's, you know, obviously we'll go by number order there, lowest to highest. Uh, he had three wins last year, finished in the top 10 22 times, finished sixth in the standings. Mike Wheeler's back as crew chief. FedEx, obviously, back on an 11 car sponsoring them. Um, what are your thoughts here in 27, as 2017 enters with Denny Hamlin? Kind of an odd guy, I, I think, as far as hard to read. Every time you think he's going to have a good year, it just seems like it doesn't happen for him. What are your thoughts on Denny Hamlin here in 2017? Well, Denny Hamlin's run through some adversity. I mean, heck, he's on his fourth crew chief now. He's run through Mike Ford. He's run through Darian Grubb. He's got Mike Wheeler in the in the seat now. He went through Dave Rogers. So this is the guy Denny wanted. He wanted Mike Wheeler. They got him the uh, seasoning in the Xfinity Series. He's been a cup chief for a year now. Um, Denny's been through a lot of things. I mean, he broke his back at one point, blew his knee out playing basketball. So he's been banged up. But it, like you said, he's one of them ones where you expect him to be there but then something always bites them. I mean, you look, they had the cup won the one year until they laid the egg at Phoenix and they couldn't recover at Homestead. Um, He won the Daytona 500 last year. And I think they went straight into experimental mode and they never made it. They never really got back to it. I mean, they had a couple other wins throughout the year, but it just didn't seem like the team was put together throughout the year. I mean, they were the, third or fourth Joe Gibbs racing car most of the season. But, I mean, you never count him out. I mean, Denny finds a way to win. He wins almost every year. He makes a chase every year. 
and he's competitive every year. And as long as TRD and Joe Gibbs Racing keep doing what they did last year, I mean, there's going to be a Joe Gibbs Racing team racing at Homestead for the Final Four. It's just a matter of which one it is. And Denny's got just as good a shot as anybody else. I think I'm really interested, John, in seeing how these big teams approach this new format because we have seen it in the past where, you know, I think Denny Hamlin's team did it, like you mentioned last year, where they kind of won the Daytona 500 by a few inches over Martin Truex Jr., and then they kind of went into test mode there. And I agree. I think that when you look at it, you say, well, they kind of went into test mode. You know, will these teams do that this year? Will we see teams this year with this new points format and the fact that your regular season points carry over all the way until the final race of the chase, will teams sit there and go, you know what, we, want, we still want to test because obviously the lack of testing. We saw it with Hendrick Motorsports, and Jimmy Johnson went out to win the championship last year because he was testing in the middle of the year. Um, this, I think, sort of negates it. I think you're going to need to run really good in the middle of the year. You know, there's been teams, I've been listening to teams and crew chiefs uh, talk on, on Sirius XM Radio and, and other things saying, hey, listen, you know, uh, we're kind of approaching it a different way where we know we have to be, this is kind of old school, we have to be good from the get-go. We can't kind of experiment. We have to be good from the get-go, and we have to stay good throughout the year, which I think is a positive with this points format. Um, But I'm going to be interested to see that because I think this 11 team sort of went last year and kind of went into test mode there for a little bit. And I don't know if they ever recovered, but – We'll see. You know, if this team can come out and get to a hot start uh, and keep it throughout the team, I think Denny Hamlin, the thing with Denny Hamlin is, you can say this about any driver in their organization. I'm not about Swayze yet because he's a rookie, but any driver in Joe Gibbs Racing's organization, you could have said it last year with Edwards, can win at any racetrack at any time. That's what makes them so dangerous. They can win anywhere. It's not like, well, you know, Denny's only good on a mile and a half. They can win anywhere at any time. That's how good all three of their drivers are. So I expect a good year from him. You know, Hamlin's only finished out of the top 10 points once in his career other than the year in 2013. Uh, he finished 12th in 2007. So I expect him to be right there for the championship again. They're always favorites. He likes Mike Wheeler, had his best year in a long time. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's um, you know, going to be a good year for Hamlin. The next driver on the, on the Joe Gibbs Racing, Kyle Busch. Here's a guy who um, – Listen, two, 2015 champion, uh, we know the, the story with his broken bones and, and recovering from that, from that and everything. So he had a great year that year. And I think this team is, is poised. Again, I think Kyle, if, if Kyle had the, the thing is with the injury he had in 2015 – I don't think he wins the championship because the points are going to mean so much this year in a regular season. But Kyle's got to put a whole year together. And I'm interested to see, John, if these 10 race limit in the Xfinity series and in the truck series will have a positive effect on Kyle Busch or a negative effect on Kyle Busch. He's used to running a lot of races in those Xfinity series, and he, used, he likes to use that for Sunday as sort of a, a figuring out what he wants to do. He can only do that 10 times this year in 2017 with the new rules in the Xfinity series. What are your thoughts on Kyle Busch in 2017 here? Do you see him having another good year? What are your thoughts? Uh, I see Kyle Busch always having a good year. Um, 
And the other part is with the 10 races, it's all 10 races have to be early in the season because they're not around, not allowed to run in the chase the uh, or the playoffs that the Xfinity Series has or the Truck Series has. So he's going to run his races early. Um, I think Kyle Busch is a phenomenal talent. There's nobody who is more dangerous on the racetrack that it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, short track, mile and a half, super speedway. Kyle Busch is a threat to win in any car he gets into. He's just a phenomenal driver. I mean, they have it locked up. They're set to go. And you always look at Kyle Busch as a threat. And if he's not in the top 10, he's ticked off. I mean, if he's running 15th, he's beyond ticked off at his team, beyond ticked off at the equipment. I mean, he goes in there every race. He expects to win 36 races a year. And he won. He wins five. He wins 10. It doesn't matter. I mean, you look at the stats between all three series. If you think about it, it's close to what Petty did back in the day where they ran three, four nights a week. Kyle Busch is going to pass 200 wins in the next couple of years because he wins any time he's in any of the Xfinity or truck series. And he's a threat to win every time he steps into the cup series. He is. He is. And he's got 86 wins in the Xfinity series alone. But, you know, to, to touch on the Richard Petty thing first, Richard Petty did it in the premier series. So I think that's a little bit different, but anyway, I, I agree with you. I think what I, you know, I've said this before on this show, and you've agreed. I think when you look at the 48 team and Jimmy Johnson, I always compare them to the New England Patriots as far as football goes. And, and congratulations to you on your fifth Super Bowl, by the way, uh, as a Patriots fan. But I, I always compare them to the New England Patriots, where a team that you know is going to be pretty much in the AFC Championship game or, or close to the championship for the 48 with three or two races to go, they're going to be there. Um and I feel like this 18 team, you can compare them sort of to the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you expect them to make the playoffs year in and year out and be very good, you know, and contend with that. Because, it, like I said earlier in the show, Joe Gibbs Racing drivers can win anywhere, but Kyle Busch could dominate anywhere. We've seen this guy. He's, he's great on the short tracks. I think that's his bread and butter. You know, he's great at Bristol. He's great at Richmond. He's not so good at Martinsville. The only really big problem for Kyle Busch all those flatter tracks, the New Hampshire's, the Poconos, and the uh, the Martinsville's are, are really the big things where you kind of look at them and go, I'm not entirely 100% sure of picking them. Other than that, he's flawless. Uh, he's won road course races. He's won, He can win on super speedways. He can win on, on the mile and a half, of course. But, you know, those flatter tracks seem to give him a little bit of trouble. But I like this team, like you said. I think the Adam Stevens team have a good, good uh, – you know, communication system. I think they do everything perfect. I expect that team, you know, Kyle Busch won 38 races in 11 seasons in Cup, full seasons in Cup, 12 full seasons in Cup. Uh, it's incredible, you know, and, and when you people have talked about Carl Edwards being a Hall of Famer, you know, I think Kyle Busch is way more, uh, should be way more considered a Hall of Famer than what Carl Edwards was if, if Kyle Busch retired today. So it just shows you the type of skill set he has. He's a champion. You know, early in his career, it just seemed like he could never put a full year together, and that's going to be interesting. Can he do that this year? Because he hasn't been—he hasn't had to do that uh, the year he won a championship. He didn't have to put a full year together. He only ran 25 races. 
Can he do that and stay consistent and win this championship? Because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take some consistency with this new points format. The next team on the Joe Gibbs Racing list here, John, is the 19 car. Daniel Suarez, rookie of the year contender, obviously, this year. By when we, you know, middle of December, did not even know he was going to be in the 19 car. Carl Edwards' sudden retirement comes out. Uh, Now Carl Edwards is out. You got Daniel Suarez going in that car. Aris is going with him. Um, Defending Xfinity Series champion. What are your thoughts on Daniel Suarez here? He's a rookie. He might not be 100% ready, but he's here in Cup. How do you think he's going to do? I think Daniel Suarez is a good driver. And it showed, he talked about uh, whenever they had their test at Phoenix, that it was a growing, uh, it was a big lesson because there's more horsepower than he's used to in the Xfinity car. It handles different than the Xfinity car. It rolls different through the center of the turn than the Xfinity car. So he's in a he's in a big learning curve. I think there's a big difference between Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones, who's the other big rookie of the year candidate this year. I think because Eric Jones has had some seasoning in the Cup Series, he ran a he ran a race substituting for Kyle Busch. He ran a couple races for Kenseth whenever he was uh, benched for parking putting Joey Logano in the wall a couple years ago at Martinsville. So Eric Jones has had his feet wet in the Cup Series. Daniel Suarez's first time in a Cup car is going to be at Daytona. And there's probably about 35 other drivers who's never driven with him. So he may find himself shuffled out of every pack that there is because they may not go with him. I think 20th in points may be his expectation this year. I think he's a solid driver. I think he'll be good in a couple years. I think that growing pains are going to go through the organization this year with the 19 team. I don't think he's a Chase Elliott or a Ryan Blaney, so I don't expect them to be contending for wins on a regular basis, but I expect them to get laps. I expect them to learn. I expect them to struggle in the first half of the season and put together a better second half because there's a lot of tracks that he'll be going to a second time in that car and we'll see how good he is at learning things. Uh, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting because, like you said, he has never been in a cup car. He, re- he tested over there at Phoenix. Edwards was there to help him out, which was curious, John, because, you know, not to get off topic here, but a lot of people were like, well, if you're retired, why are you at the test at Phoenix? It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess he's there to help him out. Maybe he felt a little bad that he kind of put his team in a bad situation, which he, it wasn't an ideal situation, that's for sure. But listen, I think Suarez is a good driver. Will he go out and get out of the box and win six races? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but, you know, can he make the chase? Absolutely. I think he can make the chase like Chase Elliott did last year. Joga's racing is good, you know, but it's new rule package. You got a little bit of a lower downforce than you had last year. Uh, obviously, with, with everything that goes on early in these races, you know, Suarez is going to be up there with, with, with great equipment, and that's what you got to keep in mind. I think he's going to be fine as far as the chase goes. I don't think he's going to win a championship this year but maybe he gets a win at a, at a mile and a half track. But, you know, to mix it up at a Martinsville, that's going to be an interesting place because he, I don't think he's ever been there. Maybe he went there in a truck last year. I have to check on that. But, you know, that's going to be an interesting place for him in a, in a chase race at Martinsville where he's never been there, and that's a, that can be an intimidating racetrack for sure. Uh, the final driver here, John, is – Before you go forward, oh, Clayton, when yeah. it comes to yep. Daniel Suarez, um, 
there's a big difference. Yeah, he's running great equipment in Joe Gibbs racing equipment. But I also see, if you remember back whenever Joey Logano came to Joe Gibbs racing, and Joe Gibbs racing equipment was top-notch, and he had a top-notch crew chief in Greg Zipidelli. And I think Daniel Suarez isn't Joey Logano. And Joey Logano needed a couple more years. I mean, he got to win his first year because Zippy stayed out in the rain at New Hampshire. I don't think that's a possibility this time. I don't see Daniel Suarez making the chase. I mean, he's going to be in top-notch equipment. Joey Logano is in top-notch equipment when he came up a year early. I think Suarez is coming up a year early, and we're going to see him probably about 20th to 25th in points. That's a fair point. And Logano, you mentioned He's he's a fair guy to to, to assess because when, if you remember when David Reagan got that 18 car when Kyle Busch was hurt, you know a lot of people were like, well, why don't you just have Eric Jones do it? And Joe Gibbs said, listen, we don't want Eric Jones because we saw what happened with Magano. We kind of brought him up when he wasn't ready. He really struggled and we lost him. And now he's having a lot of success over there at Team Penske, and that's not a bad thing for Logano, but it hurt Joe Gibbs Racing. And you have to wonder if Suarez is sort of the same boat here. Logano won a lot of Xfinity Series races before he, you know, while he was in his in his uh, tenure in Cup at Joe Gibbs Racing. So yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. He, like you said, he was in great equipment with Greg Zipidelli as well in that 20 car, um, and he didn't produce the results that that was expected. So absolutely, I think it's something to keep in mind here. Um, another team, the other fi- and final team there at Joe Gibbs Racing is that 20 car, and he's a guy. Matt Kenseth, you know, 2003 champion, hasn't won it since then, but he's a guy who I think a lot of people are looking at going, when is the ax going to fall on his age? Listen, I think Matt Kenseth is as hungry as he's ever been. I think he's as focused as, he ever, as, as he's ever been. You know, he kind of comes from, from the Roush. Uh, he comes from the Roush school when Mark Martin, you know, that, that was kind of sort of his mentor over there at Roush. And Mark Martin was good up until he's in his 50s. He just loves racing. He knows what he's doing. I think Kenseth and Joe Gibbs, and I remember when he first got to Joe Gibbs Racing, an employee at Joe Gibbs Racing said Kenseth was a top five driver in the garage area, and a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes and went, yeah, right. I believe that. I think Kenseth, you could put him top five still and say he's a guy who can go out there and absolutely win a championship. Um, I do think he's the second best driver there as far as consistency goes at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, you know, he's a guy who just year in and year out, you expect, you expect him to be in a chase. No ifs, ands, or buts. He's a driver. He's got a good crew chief in Jason Ratcliffe. That 20 team is ready to go. Uh, you never really hear anything from Matt Kenseth. What are your thoughts on that 20 car this season as we head into 2017? The one thing that has me nervous about the Kenseth uh, situation this year is his contract. His contract's up at the end of the year. Denny Hamlin, they're basically announced without signing every, saying everything's done, but they said his extension's locked up. Kyle Busch is set in the 18 car. Suarez is set in the 19 car. And Eric Jones deals a one-year deal with Furniture Row. And Gibbs wants to bring him back into the fold. What's Kenseth going to do next year? How much effort are they going to put into that 20 car for Matt Kenseth if he's a lame duck? I think Kenseth is as good a driver as there is in the garage. I think he's the most consistent driver at Joe Gibbs Racing. I think Kyle Busch has a chance to win every week, 
but I think Matt Kenseth is your most consistent driver in Joe Gibbs racing equipment. He's going to find you a top five, no matter how bad the car is. I mean, he's going to find a way to get, he'll, he always finds a way to get himself top fives, top tens. He's won more at Gibbs than he did at uh, Roush because at the end, Roush's equipment was starting to go into tank. But I see Matt Kenseth having another good year, but I think it'll be interesting come July whether or not Matt Kenseth has signed a new deal or if Eric Jones goes into that 20 car next year and Matt Kenseth is going to be a free agent and how quick things turn at the 20 team. If there's consistency, if they decide they want to keep Kenseth around for another three years, then what are they going to do with Eric Jones? Because they're, they're banking on Eric Jones being the future of Joe Gibbs racing him and Kyle Busch being the one, two punch over there. But it's, I think Kenseth is as good as anybody in the garage. I think anybody would love to have him in their car, but it's just one of those things. They don't, there's some uncertainty there. And you remember the last time there was the uncertainty, he was driving a 17 car and there was no sponsorship on it. And they were throwing Ford on the hood every week. And that's when Matt went to uh, Joe Gibbs. We'll see what happens right. this year because there's some sponsorship holes on that car with Dollar General going away. 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles. Let's be honest. You know, March 10th, Matt Kenseth's going to be 45 years old. That's hard to believe, and that's something that is something that I don't think you can take lightly, especially when you think about who's the oldest driver in the garage area. It's Matt Kenseth. Um, Greg Biffle's no longer here, so Kenseth's a guy at least somebody who runs full-time, as far as anybody that runs full-time, you know, there's talk that Derek Cope might be coming to the Cup Series, and that he'll be the oldest guy then. But as far as somebody who runs consistently and runs up front, he's the oldest guy. And, you know, he's won 14 races in four years at Joe Gibbs Racing. That's a, that's a very good number. It's a very respectable number. And like we talked about, you know, he's a great driver. I, I would find it hard to believe they would move on from them, but that age is it might be a little concerning for them. Maybe they, they do sit there and say, we want to get younger. Joe gives racing. We don't want to miss out on Eric Jones. But you have to wonder how much coverage retirement, how much that played into changing the plans over there at Joe Gibbs Racing. Because maybe they thought, well, Edwards is going to be there. we got to move up Suarez. So Matt's kind of, eh, you know, we'll see what we get. And maybe they are a little concerned about his age. And they're saying, well, if he gets off to a hot start in 2017, we'll re-sign him. Um, and maybe that's the way they'll look at it. They're sort of challenging Matt Kenseth here in 2017 to say, you know what, prove us to us that age is just a number, please, because um, we hope it is, and prove it to us. Uh, final thoughts there, John, on, on Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole and what you think we'll see from them in 2017. I think as an organization, we'll see at least three teams in the uh, in the playoffs. I think either any of the three teams between Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, or Matt Kenseth could be in the final four. And that's just one of those potluck, depending on who wins where. Um, Kyle Busch is phenomenal in the mile and a half. He's got a really good shot at pulling that off and getting himself into the uh, championship round by winning one of the mile and a half races like he does at Texas. He's really good at Texas. Um, Kenseth, again, it's one of those things, sponsorship issues, uh, age issues, one of the things I could see with Kenseth as well is if they bring Eric Jones back in house is if Dodge comes out in 2018, sort of like the old Bill Elliott role with uh, Ray Evernham, Matt Kenseth would be a heck of a guy to get your team started with. 
before you, yeah. get, as you get started and going on off the ground. Matt Kenseth reminds me a lot of Bill Elliott. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they, they both have similar personalities, uh, similar driving styles. I think they're, you know, it's funny because Matt, when he ran his first cup race, ran for Bill Elliott in 98 at Dover and ran great, finished eighth. That was an unbelievable day. So, yeah, um, I, I see a lot of similarities there as well. And that would be an interesting take. I mean, he he would be a great get, a great get for that. You know, what organization is going to go there? We will see. Next team, which is an interesting team to think about if you're thinking about Dodge, that we're going to talk about here on the team previews is Richard Childress Racing. A three-car operation this season like they were last year. You got Ryan Newman in the 31, Austin Dillon in the 3, and Paul Menard in the 27. Um, Menard's got a new crew chief. Matt Borland, who was with Ryan Newman forever and ever, is now over there. Brought an engineer type in. Justin Alexander was the engineer. He was replaced by Danny Stockman. Stockman's been now replaced by Matt Borland. Um, Slugger Labby over there for for Austin Dillon. Luke Lambert over there for Ryan Newman in the 31 uh, as, as their crew chiefs. An interesting team, John. They haven't won since Kevin Harvick's been with that organization. They're itching to win. Austin Dillon had a good year last year, finished 14th in the standings. A little bit of a disappointing year last year, in my opinion, for Ryan Newman. A very disappointing year last year, 25th in the standings for Paul Menard. A very disappointing season last year for him, and that's why you saw the crew chief change there. But let's start with the three team. 14th in points, made the chase. It was a step in the right direction for Austin Dillon, no doubt about it. He hadn't made the chase in his three previous seasons. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Austin Dillon here going into 2017? Do you see him making the next step and winning some races and starting to become a championship contender in 2017? I'm not sure I buy in on Austin Dillon totally as a driver yet. I think he does okay. I think he hit magic, got lightning in a bottle because Slugger Labby is a heck of a crew chief. And I think he builds cars that are fast. They're easy to drive for what a cup car is easy to drive. But I think Slugger Labby builds a good car. And I think a lot of it of what the success is with Austin Dillon. I mean, you look, everything's the same. The only thing that changed was Slugger Labby showing up. I mean, the same same crew, same driver, same everybody else. The only difference was Slugger Labby. And I think Slugger Labby was the difference of Austin Dillon being a 20th place guy and Austin Dillon making the chase, which is now the playoffs. I think if Richard Childers was smart, he'd put his best driver, who I believe is Ryan Newman, and his best crew chief, which is Slugger Labby, together. But Richard Childers is going to take care of his grandson. I agree with you. I think, um, you know, when you look at that, it's an interesting theory because Richard Childress Racing is an interesting situation because when they had Furniture Racing as an alliance team there a bunch of years ago, a couple of years ago, they, Furniture Racing outran them. And you have to say, well, that means their engines and their chassis are good enough to win, but why aren't they good enough to win? Do they not have the drivers? Well, we've seen Ryan Newman win in the past. Uh, Menard, obviously he's won a race, but the book jury's still on him. And Austin Dillon is a young kid. Maybe it's the crew chiefs. Uh, I think it's a big year for Luke Lambert. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Luke Lambert is a guy who they really like at Richard Childress racing. Um, but I think it's a big year for him. I think they need to make the chase and really be a good, uh, have a good year in that 31 car, or he's going to get replaced. 
Um, you know, Slugger's a guy who sort of rebounded his career. Paul Menard really, really likes Slugger, and I think he was really upset that Slugger is no longer with him. And that's why they sort of paid the money to get Matt Borland. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting season, I think, for Luke Lambert in that 31 car. Uh, as far as Austin Dillon is concerned, listen, you know, can he make that next step? I think it's going to be baby steps for Richard Childress Racing. I don't know if they can win this year. Uh, I would be I would be happy for him if they could. But really what we have to see is sort of a, a gain in horsepower and a gain in momentum like we saw from Joe Gibbs Racing a couple of years ago, where all of a sudden it just seemed like it clicked. And it could happen in 2017 for this team, but we haven't seen Richard Childress Racing do that in a long time. They have not been an elite or the number one organization in NASCAR in a long time. You got to remember, you know, yeah, they've won some races in the past, but they've not won a championship in the Cup Series since 1994 with Dale Earnhardt's seventh championship. That's a long time now. Uh, that's that's you know for a long longer than Roush. That's longer than than a lot of organizations. Even Robert Yates, who's no longer exists, has a has an or, uh, championship more recently than Richard Childress Racing. So it's time for this organization to sort of click on all cylinders. And I'm putting a lot of pressure on Austin Dillon as well this year because this is what this, you know, they've put a lot of stock into him. You mentioned Slugger Labby. He's the best crew chief. They've put a lot of stock into Austin Dillon. It's time for him to perform. It's time for him to show and be the driver that everybody expects him to be and Richard Childress expects him to be. So he, he, it's a big year for him to make a step in the right direction. Can he do it? I don't think he can this year, uh, but we have to see at least a little bit more progress from that three team. The 31 in Newman, um, we kind of you know, blended the three and the 31 there, John. At least I did. Uh, what are your thoughts on Newman? He's a guy who, you know, he's never been a guy to win a ton of races, but he's always been pretty consistently, and they'll give you a top. Uh, what are your thoughts on Ryan Newman here in 2017? Well, I mean, he hasn't been a big winner since his early days at Penske. I mean, you remember his – I believe it's his second year. He won eight races, but Newman's consistent. I mean, Newman is going to get everything he can out of the car. If it's a 10th place car, he may get you eighth. If it's an eighth place car, he may get you a top five. I mean, he's not going to put you in bad situations. He's always going to get more out of the car than it really should give him. And I think he's done as good as he can with decent equipment. I think, I mean, you look whenever he was at Stuart Haas, I think whenever they first put the organization together, they built it around Tony. And I think Newman was sort of the test car and he found his way to keep staying in the chase and get, he got a couple wins there. But when he went to Childress, I mean, it's three years now. And Luke Lambert's been that crew chief, and they have not won. And Luke Lambert didn't win with Jeff Burton before Newman. So Luke Lambert, how he keeps his job without – he's never won a cup race. So that's the thing where you need to look right off the bat. If Newman is not doing really well in the point standing in the first 10 races, somebody new is going to be sitting on top of that pit box. And it could be a switch where Matt Borland goes on that 31 because Newman and Matt Borland know each other back, backwards, forwards, and three times on Sunday. But, yeah, and you have, again, it's right. also the Paul Menard's deal where Paul Menard's dad's saying, hey, I'm giving you millions and millions of dollars to make sure my, my son runs well. So they, that's why they got Borland to run Paul Menard's shop. But, I mean, Newman's probably the best driver of the three at the Childress Stable. 
and he ends up with the worst crew chief. Yeah, and Lambert's an interesting guy. You know, um, he won four races in the Xfinity Series in 2012 with Elliott Sadler. The year Sadler had a really good year in the Xfinity Series, um, Luke Lambert was a crew chief. He, he, he tested in Cup there. He dipped his toe in Cup there the year before, and he was a crew chief, and he, and he did fine in the Xfinity Series. Now he moves at the Cup. Like you said, he hasn't won a, a ton of races there. He hasn't won a race at all there. And last year, I thought it was a very disappointing year for the 31 car. No doubt about it. Ten top ten finishes, which is the least he's, uh, Newman's had since he's been there. Um, you know, only two top fives. He finished 18 to the points. They're not a very good year. And again, I think you're right. I, I, I said this before, and I think it's going to be, it's a very big year for Luke Lambert. Um, you know, they have some crew chiefs that like to sort of, uh, uh, in the Xfinity series, Stockman, you know, we saw Justin Alexander. There's a lot of good, decent crew chiefs over there who've been around a long time now. So I think Luke Lambert's got to have a big year this year for RCR and for this 31 team. Um, the last team in this organization is Paul Menard. 25th in points last year. Uh, he's got one win in Indianapolis. It was a fuel mileage race, but he won it. Let's give him the credit there. Um, much better driver with Slugger Labby as his crew chief than he was with Justin Alexander. They're trying to find that same magic with Matt Borland. Now, uh, what are your thoughts on Paul Menard moving into 2017? I think Paul Menard's improved because, I mean, he used to be like Stewart called David Reagan when he first came to the Cup Series. He used to be a, a dart without feathers. There wasn't a wall that Paul Menard couldn't find. And he's keeping it off the wall. He's been respectable. But he hasn't really had any consistency and since he had Slugger Labby. I mean, Justin Alexander was a new crew chief. Um, they did all right to start. And if you look, the one thing Paul Menard's always found a way to do, he runs well at Daytona. He always does well at the beginning of the year. Like the first 10 races, you'll see Paul Menard in the top 10 in points. And then whenever summer hits, it's like, all right, how fast can we get to 22nd? And it's just one of those things that they just haven't been able to put a full season together. And I think he runs into when the tracks get hotter and they get slicker, he's, that, he's just not comfortable with it. And as long as dad's money's going to pay the bills, Paul Menard's going to have a ride. But I don't think he's the solution or – the make or break at Childress, it's going to be Austin Dillon or Ryan Newman. It's going to make or break that organization. I agree. And I think what they need is to be better than 25th in points. No doubt about it for, for Menard and for that team and that sponsor to be happy over there. Um, they need it. And, and Menard made the chase the year before, uh, but he's never made it other than that in his career. Made it in 2015. Um, can he do it again? I mean, yeah, he could do it again. Uh, you know, there's 16 cars you know, you can ex- award mediocrity with 16 cars. And that's all Menard's been at best is mediocre. Um, you know, when he's, when he's been at his best, even with Slugger Labby, he was mediocre. And 16th in points is mediocre. You know, and he finished 17th, 16th, and 17th in three consecutive years in 2011 and 2012 and 2013. Um, so that's the, that's the word to use him. use him. You're right. Sponsorship's a big deal why he's there, and it's not going to make or break uh, Richard Childress Racing for sure. Okay, our last team that we move forward to is Roush Fenway Racing. And, John, you know, maybe I'm overstating this, but I think this is the most interesting organization in the garage area going into 2017. They've now gone from three teams to two. This was an organization at one time had six cars. Now they have two. 
Uh, they're releasing their charter to the 37 team over there at JTG Daughtery Racing and Chris Bush are releasing over there. Uh, Turban is back in the six with Matt Pucci as a crew chief. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is back in the 17. New crew chief Brian Patty there, which I thought was a little bit of a head scratcher. I thought uh, Stenhouse, you know, Stenhouse has had, had, it seems like he changes his crew chief every year. Um, and Sandler's a guy now working in their engineering department. So it'll be on both cars with how good he is. But I think it's a very interesting year for them. I've read a lot of things on Rush Fenway Racing because they're an organization that intrigues me. They're focusing a lot more on the engineering side. It seems like they were sort of reluctant to do that the last couple of years. Now they're focused on doing that. They've gone to two cars to sort of uh, help figure out a way to get this organization better, to use their resources better. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if that will happen because Biffle's gone now. Biffle was a guy who I think was one of the, you could argue, was the best driver, at least had the best track record at Roush Fenway Racing. Let's start with the sixth team. I thought Bain had a decent start to the year last year. At one point, he was 16th in the standings, and that's where he needed to be to make the chase. He fell to 22nd in the points, uh, won the Daytona 500 in 2011. That's obviously been his highlight of his career. What are your thoughts on Trevor Bain in that sixth car with Matt Fuchsia this year? I think Trevor Bain is okay. I don't think he's anything to write home about. I think he probably is part of the reason Roush Fenway started even slipping further than they were because Trevor Bain wrecks a lot of cars and he'll take a, instead of taking a 15th place car and make it a 10th place car, he'll take a 15th place car and make it a 22nd place car. I just don't feel that Trevor Bain is the guy that you want to hang your hat on as you're rebuilding your organization. I think he's young. I don't think he's ever proven him. He never really proved himself in the Xfinity series he was able to get Avocare to sign in, and as they moved up to the cup level, he's pulled the sponsorship with them. But I don't think Trevor Bain's a guy to hang your hat on if you're rebuilding your organization like Jack Roush is trying to do. I think that the they're going to be a 20th place car at best. I mean, they're not making the chase. And like I said, if he's going to he gets a 15th place car, he finds a way to make it a 22nd to 30th place car because either makes a bad move, puts himself in a bad situation, or gets himself in trouble on pit road. 917-889-8280. Join our conversation here on Talking Circles. There's no doubt, John, the jury is still out on Trevor Bain. I don't think you can sit here and totally say, well, he's going to win a ton of races in his career. The jury is still out on him, and I feel he deserves at least another year here to really evaluate his career. And Let me explain what what I mean. I know he had those part-time years over there at uh, the Wood Brothers, and he, that win obviously in Daytona was huge for him. He had four; he ran four race, four years for the Wood Brothers in a part-time role. Now he's run full two full-time years. You know, we saw with um, Austin Dillon took him four years to get to sort of make the next step and be a chase contender. Uh, we've seen it with Joey Logano took him four or five years to get to the to where he's winning the races and being a very consistent driver. Bain deserves at least another year here to sort of say. You know, the, to me, the book's still out on him. He's still sort of getting in wings underneath him in the Cup Series. Uh, I think it's absolutely fair, though, to say they can't hang their hat on this kid, but he's got sponsorship and advocate. They seem to really like him. He does a good job off the track. So that's huge uh, that they have a sponsor that's committed because they haven't been able to sell sponsorship in a long time, even for Greg Biffle, who had a, who had a big resume as far as winning races is concerned. Um, 
But if they focus on the engineering part and you see that six car start to run better, uh, you know, maybe Bain pulls, does better. Uh, he had five top 10 finishes last year. That doesn't seem like a lot, and it really isn't a lot, but it's the most that he's had in his career. Uh, so maybe it's a step in the right direction. Maybe 2016 was a step in the right direction for him. I mean, he finished 29th the year before in points, which when you think about that, you go, oh, my goodness gracious, 29th, 22nd last year. So that's a big step in the right direction for Bain. Uh, if he can keep that going and finish 20th in points, you know, I think the, the jury would still be out on him as far as 2018 would go. But the interesting guy to me is Stenhouse, because when you look at Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, in the 17 car, I like what he's done in the Xfinity Series. Obviously, he was great, won two championships, won six races in ba- or two races in 2011, six races in 2012, did a great job there, back-to-back championships. And his Cup Series career has not been what you would expect it to be. Uh, 19th in points in 2013 has been his best year. Then 27th, 25th, and last year he finished 21st. But we've seen a, uh, some decent runs from Stenhouse. You know, he had four top five finishes last year and six top tens and finished 21st in points. You know, I think what Stenhouse needs is a year to sort of sit here and go, put it all together, to put it all together. And maybe with Brian Patty as a crew chief, Rash thinks that will happen. You know, um, Patty's a veteran guy. He's, he's won a lot of races in his career with Boyer and Wampa Montoya. Um, so that's an interesting year because I talked about Bain only having two full years. This is going to be Stenhouse's fifth full season in the Cup Series in 2017. It's time. If you're going to be a guy who can win races at, at an elite level in Cup, at, at a, you know, a consistent level in Cup, you have to prove yourself. And 2017 is going to be the year for him because if he doesn't win this year, there's going to be a lot of doubters in the garage area. And I think the sponsorships are, start, are going to start to say, get somebody else in that, tw- in that 17 car who can win races. The question you have to ask if that happens, which, you know, we'll, we'll have to ask at the end of the year is who do you, if, is there a better option out there than Stenhouse, which we'll discuss that obviously as the 2017 season goes, but what are your thoughts on Stenhouse here, John? Do you think he's got the opportunity to sort of, you know, be the lead driver over there at Rash Fender Racing because they really need him to be that in 2017. I think Stenhouse is better than the equipment he's driving. I think he's got the talent. I think he's got the ability. I just don't think the Roush Fenway equipment is there right now. I mean, you saw glimpses last year where they were starting to get it, and then all of a sudden they went right back in the tank to the way Roush Fenway's been the last five years. I mean, they have not been good in a long time and you really can't hold Roush. I mean, you can't look at Roush Fenway as an elite team anymore. I don't look at them anymore as a race contending team than I do a front row motorsports or a, I mean, front row motorsports has won as many races as they have, if not more in the past couple of years, they won last year with Chris Busher. I mean, right. front row and motorsports won at Talladega. I mean, it's been a long time since, Roush won. I think they haven't won since Carl Edwards was sitting there. So it's been three years. I think Stenhouse has the talent and I think he has the ability to be a solid driver. I just don't think Roush Fenway has the equipment for him yet. So it's a matter of if the engineering builds the equipment good enough to match Ricky's talent, I think Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will have a great season this year. If the engineering at Roush Fenway doesn't catch up, I think Ricky Stenhouse is going to be sitting there 15th, 20th, I mean, 17th to 20th this year, 
saying, boy, I wish I was on a good team. And there may be an opening at another Ford team coming up soon. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we'll discuss that a little bit for sure. Um, I do. I think it's a, it's a big year for Roush because they, they've got rid of Robbie Reiser. You look at it and say they got rid of Robbie, who was sort of an old blood, you know, and they got a lot of young guys in there who are, got an engineering background. It's time for Roush Fenway to prove themselves this year. And if they can't do it with the moves they've made by going to two cars, uh, if they don't at least improve a little bit, we say, hey, they, they made a couple uh, – one of their cars made the chase this year. I think they're in big trouble as far as the future goes for sure. 917-889-8280. So that was our, our preview for 2017. We'll, we'll finish that up next week here on Talking in Circles. As we get closer and closer to the Daytona 500, get closer and closer to Speed Weeks 2017, the last off weekend, John, for NASCAR is coming up this week. Um, and let's talk about this chartering system. It's an interesting deal because there's been a lot of discussion and last week was a very interesting thing about this chartering system. Um, BK Racing sold their charter to Front Row Motorsports, who then leased that charter out to TriStar Motorsports and Cole Witt, the 72 car. TriStar Motorsports is, gonna, is an interesting situation in themselves because they're going to run a Ford Daytona, then they're going to run Chevrolets, and then they're going to run Toyotas. Um, so that's going to be a very interesting situation there. But uh, – First off, are you concerned about BK Racing? Because when I look at BK Racing, I see a team that let, – let's look at it plainly uh, with the facts. They had – their owner was locked out of their shop due to lack of payments, basically, for at least one day in the offseason. Um, both – you know, Matthew Mandetto seemed like he was in a pretty good spot there as far as the future was concerned, where they wanted to keep him. All of a sudden, Dean Benedetto said, I didn't really like what I saw. I'm out. David Reagan left there as well. I'm out. Obviously, both – well, Reagan, you can say, went to a better ride. I don't know if Matt Benedetto did. But it's an interesting situation to be in. they got two young kids, one who brings funding in Cole Custer – or excuse me, and um, I do that all the time with Greg Galding, excuse me. One that brings funding with Greg Galding. And Corey LaJoy, who's a good young driver, is going to run at least 14 races there. Um, what are your th- thoughts on BK Racing? Are you concerned about their future? Uh, they only got one charter now, only going to have one team locked into Daytona, only going to have one team uh, locked into the whole season, which might not be a big deal for them. But what are your thoughts on, on BK Racing here, selling this charter to uh, Front Row Motorsports? Are you concerned at all? I think they're in big trouble. I mean, you don't get locked out of your shop in Mooresville if you're just a day late or a month late on your payments, you got to be way backed up on your payments for them to lock you out of your shop. And they sold the charter to front row motorsports who's leasing it out. Front row motorsports probably didn't pay a boatload. Let's put it this way. I don't think they paid as much for the charter as Stuart Haas racing paid Rob Kaufman for Kurt Busch's charter last year. I think the price of the charters have gone way down. I think you, me, and Lee in Virginia could probably afford a charter if we had a car to run. I think that's what it's getting to. I think the charter system has basically done what we talked about whenever they first started it. It made the big teams huge. It made the little teams go away. It's not the... Let's make it even, make it an even playing field. It just basically... We're going to have nine 
four car teams here pretty soon and four people trying to fill in the field, or we're going to be down to 32 cars or 30 cars because we've said it all along, the business model is not there. So I think Ron Devine's trying to take what he can, survive as long as he can, and get out of it with as much money as he can and not be in bankruptcy court. I think he's done after next year. If he can get something for the 23 charter, he will. And like we talked about offline one time, we said if you piecemeal the charters, you're probably going to get more. But the thing is, next year, who's going to want that other charter? I mean, everybody's – the four-car teams are loaded. Penske doesn't look like they're going to expand anytime soon. So who are you going to sell that charter to? Well, it's interesting because when you think about the two teams who are leasing charters this year, the 37 car, which they got their charter leased from Roush Fenway Racing, and you got to wonder if Roush will sit there and go, we're going to bring that charter back and we're going to run a third car. Once we figure out if our cars are running any better, we'll put Chris Buescher in a third car. That's an option there. And then Tri- uh, TriStar Motorsports might want to charter there too because if they run the full season in Cup this year, which they have to because of the charter, uh, that charter there is going to go back to Frontline Motorsports for a third team, and then they can sort of sell off there to TriStar Motorsports. So uh, I do think this is the beginning of Ron Devine's exit plan. It's an interesting situation because this was a team who, remember last year, John, we were coming into this point last year, he had four cars going to Daytona with Robert Richardson Jr., uh, Michael Waltrip was in, the, in his car, David Reagan, and Matthew Benedetto. He had four cars at Daytona, which is hard to believe, Two, and he was using TRD engines to get Michael and D. Benedetto in because they didn't have charters, uh, or Richardson and uh, D. Benedetto in because they didn't have charters. So it was an interesting situation because it seemed like the team was sort of in the right direction. They had D. Benedetto, who was a good young driver. They had Reagan, who was going to – bring everything in. They just bought a bunch of chassis from Michael Waltrip Racing. It seemed like everything was in order for this team to be for a long time. Now it looks like this is the beginning of the end for PK Racing. Um, and you have to sort of feel sorry for Ron Devine. He bought the assets. He started this team by buying the assets from uh, BK from Red Bull Racing. But, John, I have a question here. I think, you know, and this is what's interesting to me. With this rule, and a lot of people kind of don't understand the rule where you can't finish in the bottom three of charter teams for three years in a row. I think that's sort of made Ron Devine sit there and scratch his head and go, am I going to do that? Because I I don't really want to lose my charter. I might as well get something for it before I lose it and become desperate and just they take it from me. I mean, to me, if if this chartering system is not here, BK Racing – might stick around, but you have to wonder: Does does this, the 37 team start up? Does TriStar start a team? Uh, it's an interesting uh, possibility to talk about because I think it's a big deal. Because when you look at that uh, 83 car, that 83's charters charter finished in the bottom three last year, so they weren't going to. And you don't think what, by what they had this year, as far as funding is concerned and everything <clears> like that, I don't think they're going to finish above the bottom three this year. I don't think they're going to do that in the 23 anyway. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think maybe with this chartering system really hurt BK racing? I don't think the chartering systems hurt BK racing because I think if you keep here, as we keep talking about it, they, the bottom three comes up. I don't think there's going to be 40 cars in Atlanta. 
there's not the glutton of cars like there was whenever Toyota first came in and there was 47, 48 cars trying to get in for 43 spots. Right now, I mean, you look, there's 40 cars most of the time, max. And I think in Atlanta this year, there might be 38, 37, somewhere in there. So the bottom three isn't going to make that much of a difference because who's there to pick up the charter? Who's running full seasons three years in a row that will be there to pick up that charter? Point, I don't see anybody. Yeah, it's going to be needed. You need to see teams expand, really. Penske, um, you know, uh, Ganassi, teams like that who only have two or three cars, they're going to need to expand for that to happen. So it's going to be interesting. But if the charter's out there and they're guaranteed in every race, it might make it a little bit better for sponsorships. It might make it a little bit more enticing for sponsorships to sponsor these race cars. Um, last point of the night here, John. We got two t- tracks here that have come out and, and given us their uh, – I, I don't want to call them segments – stages as far as the 2017 season goes. Both Pocono and Watkins Glen uh, announced this week their stages for the 2017 season. Uh, Watkins Glen first. For the cup race, it will be two twenty. For the first two segments, will be 20 laps each, followed by a uh, – the final segment will be – from lap 40 to lap 90, so a 50-lap segment for them. Um, what are your thoughts here, John? 20-lap segments for the first two segments, stages, excuse me, for the first two stages uh, at Watkins Glen for the road course. What are your thoughts on, on that? Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think it's too many laps? What are your thoughts? I think it's going to be interesting because normally it's about a 30-lap run at Watkins Glen. So you always try to – I mean, most every – the road courses are one of those ones you run backwards. So you could run um, 15 laps, come in at lap 15 because they're closing the pits five laps before the uh, segment break or the stage break. You could do your 15 laps, get in there before the yellow, I mean, before the pits close and run the whole next segment and be up front and then pit five laps into the third segment and run 35 laps and you should be good to go. Or you'll have a splash and go at the end, but it'll give you a chance at it. It there's still uh, things going into that one where I think it's interesting. I think it's about the right level. I like that they're doing shorter segments at the at the beginning, and at least they're running the second half of the race at full length. I mean, they're going to run 50 laps, which is a good thing. The same thing whenever you look at Pocono, they're going to go um, 40, 40, 80 which is going to be phenomenal. I think that's the way to go. They're going to make it like almost like heat, heat feature. And that should be a good thing because, I mean, at Pocono, the gas mileage are going to come into play because 35 laps is how much you do at Pocono if you're stretching it really good. So they're going to be green flag pit stops in the first two segments at Pocono. I think it's a good setup the way they're doing both of them. I'm Caldwell John Harlow here for Talking in Circles. Um, it is going to be an interesting thing. And, and here's the thing I get worried about, though, John, is short pitting. And if we're going to see nothing but pit stops, you know, they run the possibility at these road courses where you're going to see teams saying, you know, maybe stopping every single lap in those segments because it makes sense. It, it, I don't know if, it, if it's short, short enough to – I don't know if it's – like you said, it's, it's a regular run. Where you're these teams, you know, where you 
these teams do. Hey, if I'm in there, I want to take my tires 10 laps and run my tires 10 laps and 10 laps. Um, where, you know, if somebody comes in and pits, uh, what's going to happen there? So, you know, I really, I really don't know what's going to happen as far as that is concerned. You know, I get worried about people getting confused during this race, racing and stuff, which is a big possibility. Um, Pocono's the same way where if these teams have to start, uh, you know, pitting quickly or they're trying to make it on gas and they get caught on gas, it's going to be very interesting. I think it's something that as far as you can't predict how it's going to go. These coochies are going to try all sorts of things. They're going to try short pitting. They're going to try stretching the fuel if you're a smaller team and try and steal a couple of points that way. Um, you know, it might be where if you're a, you know, a team like, uh, I don't know, BK Racing or something, you say, hey, let's try and get some points here for our, our guy uh, and, and let's just stretch the fuel the entire way and only run at half speed the entire race. Who says they can't do that? So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams approach these new changes. Um, yeah, Watkins Glen is, is an interesting one because, like you said, uh, 30 laps is a fuel run there. So at least, you know, there's not much strategy you don't think is going to be there, but teams can stay out. Um, you know, and that's the way I look at it too is like, is somebody going to say, hey, shut these cars off during caution flag periods, you know, uh, and, and we'll run the entire race just to try and get some track position up there. It's going to be very interesting to see how these teams approach that. Is all the points in the, in the first two segments more valuable than the last segments? It's going to be interesting. What are your thoughts on, on how, what do you think, John? Do you think teams will do that will short pit here in the last couple of minutes here of this show? I was thinking when it comes to Pocono, it could be like it's a 30 to 35 lap segment. So instead of changing four tires, the end of whenever you're hitting your green flag pit stop, you're going to throw a splash of gas in to make sure you hit the 40th lap, wherever the yellow flag's going to come out and they're going to have their seg, they're going to have their uh, stage break. And then you come in and change your tires under caution. I think the smart way to go is try to get that segment win by just, throwing a splash of gas in you're going to see all kind of strategy going on whenever these two races come i'm waiting to see what the uh, determination is going to be at daytona i'm waiting to see how it's going to be everywhere else because nobody said how it's going to be if it's going to be short segment short segment long segment i like the way they're going to do it because at least they're going to have a good size race toward the end of it to make sure the final the final segment or final stage is something worthwhile yeah, you got to wonder, since what we've seen here at Pocono and Watkins Glen, if it's going to be something like 50 laps, 50 laps, and then 100 in the Daytona 500, which would be interesting. Um, will these guys go for it? Or will they sit there and go, well, real points are at the end of the race? Um, I think it, it entices Daytona. It makes Daytona very interesting because there's been no doubt, and I've gone to the races, John, you know that for the last five, ten years. Uh, there's no doubt that the races at Daytona in the middle of those races could get very boring. Uh, drivers kind of riding around and waiting and logging laps and waiting till the end. This at least gives them a little bit of an enticement to run the full race at Daytona to get a little bit of points there. Uh, it'll be listen if, if that makes Daytona a little bit better. That is your premier race. Those are those are the the races where all the eyeballs are on. Even the casual fan watches Daytona. So yeah, uh, I think it'll help Daytona. Uh, if it's 50, 50, and 100. That 100-lap segment at the end is long, and maybe that's what NASCAR is looking at going, that's a little too long than what we want it to be. Uh, it's going to be interesting, no doubt about it. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. We had a really good show. It was a lot of fun. 
Um, go to our Facebook page. Go to our Twitter page. Hit that like button if you like what you heard today. Uh, we'll be back here next week getting ready for Speed Weeks 2017. Good night, everybody. <laughs>